I hold for you. How many of y'all have already broken your resolutions? No, not so many. Okay. All right, good. Holding strong. That's good. Uh, you know, it was a, I, we had a great Christmas season this year. Um, uh, just had a, lots of uh, good family time, lots of activities, things like that, spending time with family. And I love how as we spend time with family, uh, just people you love, whether it's family or friends, it just is a reflection of God's love. And we see the joy that that brings to our life. And every year it just reminds me of God's goodness in our life. And, and slowly but surely, my favorite week of the year is becoming that week between Christmas and New Year's. I don't know about y'all, uh, but it's something about Christmas being over, but that, that kind of, especially when you have kids, there's a lot going on. So that's kind of done. But yet there's this kind of hopeful expectation of this new year and this new beginning. And, and for me, it often uh, it just kind of gives me a little bit of a pause during that week to kind of look back, but also to kind of look forward. And so it's very reflective week for me, and I don't know about y'all, but we kind of do a lot of planning in our house, thinking through what we want for the next year, and it's always just a good time, but it's slowly kind of becoming one of my favorite weeks of the year. And I know that we've been studying the book of Genesis, and uh, just the, the, the word Genesis the, from the very first line comes, or the, the title of the book comes from the very first line, just in the beginning. And God has given us this book about what he did in the beginning, but I feel like it is extremely relevant to us in our beginnings and what it means for us to have a new beginning, and especially with Jesus, because uh, more than not, we, when, when Christ comes into our life, that is the beginning of our life, our real life, our full life, our spiritual life. And in this passage that we're going to study today, there is an opportunity for a new beginning. And I don't know about you, especially kind of the last line. God says, from, from now on forward, all the seasons, all the, 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 the cycles of life will continue. And I, I enjoy that God has built into the world these cycles, whether it's just seasons or years or night and day, just all these different things. And I, and I always just contemplate like, God, thank you for giving me another chance. Thank you for allowing me to be able to start over. Even if it's at just going to bed and waking up the next day, every day is a new opportunity to try and do new things. And so when we think about this book, this book of Genesis, these in the beginning, and here we stand at the beginning of this new year, um, it, it, we can, I think, and take some lessons from it to understand that God is always creating things. He's always starting things over. He's always recreating things and making things better. It is a new beginning for us. And so every year, I pray that you feel that. Um, and then as we read through this passage today, I think you'll see that this moment specifically in Genesis chapter 8 is a new beginning for the world. It is a new start for all the things that God had created and um, he starts it out with some righteous people who are faithful to him. So let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to read Genesis chapter 8, just in the honor and the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 8, we're going to read through the whole chapter. I know that's a lot of verses, uh, but let's read through this together. Genesis chapter 8, But God remembered jo uh, Noah and all the beasts of the and all the... I I'm just not starting out well. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, 
And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month, and in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the, the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. And then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her back and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he set forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from, from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering from the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month of the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. And then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, and bring out from you every living thing that is, that is with you, all of, uh, of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on every on the earth went out by families from the ark. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and burnt and offered burnt offerings to the uh, on the altar. And then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Let's pray. Father, again, as we consider this text today, Lord, we consider how you offered Noah this fresh start, this beginning. And it wasn't just for him and his family, but Lord, it was for the whole earth. It was a, a getting rid of the corruption, the sinfulness, Lord, and starting over. And I pray that today as we have the same opportunity, Lord, with this beginning of this year. And while it isn't surrounded by cataclysmic events, it is true that you have given us these cycles in life to start over and try again. And Lord, I'm reminded of your faithfulness to us. Lord, your faithfulness not to leave us alone, Lord, not to destroy us, but to give us another opportunity to, to be faithful to you. Lord, I pray that this morning as we open your word, Lord, as we preach through it and teach through it and just consider these things, God, that you would be with us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You may be seated. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, it's not hard to find or hear on the news stories of survival at sea. 
And one of my favorites is, uh, and I'm not going to go through it, but really uh, one of, of Louis Zamperini. If you're familiar with his story or who he was, uh, you know, he was a World War II hero. He survived a, crane, a, a, a plane crash and he was in the open ocean only to be captured by the Japanese and then tortured in a POW camp. Uh, and that's just one a great story. And they made movies out of that. If you've never seen that before, I just would encourage you to do that and take that up and uh, watch that. But I recently rewatched an older documentary from uh, many years ago about um, this boat and the crew that was there that were on a, a cruise offshore and got swept away. They got swept away out deep into the Pacific Ocean and it was just a terrible, terrible storm and they crashed on an island in the Pacific and unfortunately they were there. They tried many times to get off the island. They could not get off the island. Ultimately, they lived there for 15 years. Despite their attempts again, again, and again, they ultimately uh, could not get off the island until one day a tsunami came and washed them off the island and they were found and rescued by the Coast Guard. It really was just this amazing story of this crew of seven that was able to accomplish all these things. And uh, you know, they were able, they had, while they were on their, this island, they had to fend off wild animals, pirates, headhunters. They even had a run-in with the Harlem Globetrotters. And if you haven't figured it out, I'm talking about the famous documentary of a three-hour tour involving a captain, a skipper, a millionaire, and his wife, a movie star, a professor, and Marianne, known as Gilligan's Island. You know, I was thinking about this this week. Oftentimes, if you've ever watched that show, like many of us probably have, they made living on an island look so much fun. They looked like they were having so much fun on that island. Even though it was difficulty, they were there, they had all their needs provided. It just looked like a great time. It was a comedy. It was a show that if you watched it, it probably made you like... Yeah, just daydream about what it would be like to be on a deserted island, especially maybe with uh, Gilligan and the crew. But oftentimes, I think when we look at that story, the story of Noah, we often do something similar in that we, we try to make it into this cute little story, right? We remember our days as a kid where the teacher had the felt board and they were doing the thing and you had the animals and you had the two by two and you had the ark and or maybe it's the VeggieTales version for, for some, some of the kids in here, you know, where you have these stories of what God has done, and we, we make it so cute and so fun. And I think sometimes in doing so, just like we do sometimes with Gilligan's Island, being on a deserted island would be terrible. And Pastor Jared, last week, I believe it was, he mentioned one of my favorite movies, Castaway. I just love that movie. It's such a dramatic movie, and, and Tom Hanks does such a good job in it. I think that is a good a representation of what it would be like to be on a deserted island. There's not some place that you would want to be. That was more realistic, not Gilligan's Island. But rather in the same way, we take the story of Noah and we kind of cute it up. And, and I think we, we escape from some of the realities of what it would be like to be on a ship in open water for a long time. And it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be cute. It would be difficult. It would be hard work. It would be uh, just times of loneliness. It would be times of questioning. Because oftentimes we think, you know, we have 
this uh, picture of what happened there when he said it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And that was, and oftentimes we think that's the end of the story. That's so much, uh, that is so not the end of the story. As we read through this passage, we'll come to find out that it was a year or more that Noah was on the ark with his family and all those animals. It wasn't just for 40 days and 40 nights. It was a long time. And so we think about it, it was something that had lots of difficulties. And I'm sure that he had to deal with questions about, okay, is this ever going to go away? Not really understanding what God was trying to do uh, through his family. So in verse, um, in, in verse, the first verse here, it starts out, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. I think this is interesting that it starts out this way because there's other times where this phrase is used in the Bible specifically towards people that God has made a covenant with. And as you remember, God made a covenant with Noah to protect his family. And so we have this phrase here, and it isn't necessarily to say that God somehow forgot Noah. It wasn't that God just got kind of busy with the flood and forgot Noah, but rather it is this intentional understanding that God is about to do something really awesome. But that God had a plan for Noah, that he didn't forget his promise to Noah. Because God had made a covenant that he would save his family through his faithful obedience. And really this phase, or this phrase, God remembered, is really a picture of God turning his eyes towards someone and moving to action and is going to deliver Noah from the flood. Because until this point, Noah's not delivered from the flood. He's still floating on a boat with all these animals and his family. And it's not one of those things that's an easy, uh, an easy situation. And it's not going to get easier. And it's going to last a long time. So God remembers him. He remembers Noah and all the beasts of the, and the livestock that were with him on the ark. And God begins to act here. And he made a wind blow over the earth. And the waters finally subsided. The second verse says, The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were closed. And the rains from heavens were restrained. And the water receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. I love the way that this passage puts this uh, phrasing of what happened here. Because as we understand this, this is a cataclysmic event. This is not something that uh, would just be an easy, kind of nice little three-hour tour. This is something that, would, that was, you had rain pouring down from the heavens, probably rain greater than we had ever seen ever on this earth. You had water coming up from the deep, just like, and it, it uses this phrasing here, fountains and windows. What I find interesting about that is that these are beautiful things. That the way that it's described here, I don't know about you, but when you think about a fountain, you think of something beautiful. You think of a, uh, the fountains at the Bellagio or some other you know, famous fountain may come to mind. They really are things of beauty. But as we understand what's happening here, we, we understand that this, this fountain, we're talking about water from the depths of the earth shooting up into the air and coming up and flooding the earth. It was a cataclysmic event here. And then it talks about windows. 
And maybe when it talks about windows, it's talking about the windows of heaven, the just opening up and everything that's there coming down. Rain, rain, and more rain. You know, if we get like a week of rain, we're upset. But it talks about this taking 40 days and 40 nights for the rain. And that's just the rain. That's not talking about the waters from below. That's not talking about the fountains of the deep. But when we think about this idea of windows, often maybe you think of a stained glass or in traditional church building. What I love about this is that God uses these things. These are His descriptions for His creation. These fountains and windows. And the water begins to recede. And so it isn't 40 days and 40 nights, it's 150 days before the waters finally stop flooding the earth. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes you think about all that rain really coming down from above, and I think that that was a substantial amount of rain, but I think even more so the waters coming from underneath the earth, uh, these, these fountains of the deep coming up is what really caused the world to flood. And, you, you know, you might be thinking this much amount of water would just be astounding. And it's not something that would just happen and cover the mountains of the earth. And this is not going to snap your fingers and it go away. What I think is interesting as we consider what type of event that this was, is we see God's provision for Noah. We see God's provision for Noah. Because God had told him to build this ark so long ago, God knew that this wasn't going to be just a a run-of-the-mill afternoon thunderstorm like we get here in Florida. But it was going to be something that was going to last a long time. It was going to completely devastate the earth. And so he gives them these instructions to build this ark. And like we've been talking about, or talked about last week, Pastor Jared, just like it was built to... The perfect specifications to survive this event. It wasn't made to be a luxury cruise liner, okay? It was made for survival of a terrible event. So when you think about it that way, we see that the ark is God's provision for Noah. It's his means of salvation. If it wasn't for that, no one in his family would have died like everyone else on the earth. But instead, because of Noah's faithfulness, God gave him instructions on how to build this way of survival. The ark that God told him to build was made to survive this terrible, terrible event. But it also wasn't just a means for his survival. It was a kind of a method for God's plan to come about, right? Because God's plan was that this remnant, this faithful remnant would survive and repopulate the earth. And all the animals in there would survive and repopulate the earth. We see that in his command later in this passage to them. It was part of God's plan to go for Noah to go and repopulate this earth. And so this was a provision for Noah, but also part of God's plan. In verse 4 it says, And in the seventh month of the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to abate until the the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Now we know from uh, where we've read previously that it was the second month of the year when Noah got into the ark and the rain started. So even at this point you're talking about 
four months down the road, really, ultimately before it stopped to rain and the mountains were finally able to be seen. The tops of the mountains, not just the mountains, the very top of the mountain was just now being able to be seen. Can you imagine the volume of water that would be? Can you imagine how long it would take for that to drain off of the earth or to evaporate or to, to go back to where it came from, wherever it went? Now, these, this is a cataclysmic event that God allowed to happen for His purpose and His plan. So it rains. It rains and rains and rains for a full 150 days. Kids, I don't know about you, but can you imagine being stuck on a boat for that long? For months? This isn't just like some nice Disney cruise here we're talking about. We're talking about on a boat filled with animals, all the things to take care of the animals for months and months and months and months. I'm just kind of curious what the kids did. They had children. What did they do? What did they do during that time? What did those families do? In our society today, we think about this time period of Noah not really knowing how long this is going to be. How long are they going to be on this ark? I like to call this kind of period of the story the wait. This time of waiting. And what, what, I, what I love about this is Noah's demonstration during this time of waiting of his faithfulness to God. And we look back in the story, we see that he demonstrated faithfulness, number one, by, by spending a hundred years plus to build this boat in his life. Okay? He, he, uh, in, in Jewish tradition, okay, in Jewish tradition, they say that, that he planted the trees, that he planted the trees and allowed them to grow to use to build the ark. Now, that's not in the Bible, but that's just Jewish tradition. I read that this week, and I thought that was really interesting to think about. There was this time of, I, I believe that God has told me to do this, and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be faithful to do it. Even if it takes me years upon years upon years, hundreds of years to prepare for this. Noah demonstrated his patience on God's plan. I don't know about you, but I can't even imagine patience like that. You know, we, we get impatient when I, I get impatient when I have to wait too long at the Zaxby's drive through. I, I can't imagine waiting for trees to grow, to cut them down, to make the lumber, to build this huge boat. But Noah demonstrated his patience and faithfulness to God's plan over and over and over again. You know, ha being patient is not something that's easy, but it is a requirement for us. If we want to obey God. Having patience in God's plan is something that is required for us as Christians if we want to obey God. That's because God doesn't work on our timing. He doesn't work according to our plan. He works according to His plan. And I don't know about you, but that's a good thing. Because if somehow God worked when according with my plan, things would be messed up really quick. Instead, God, in His infinite understanding, knows the perfect time for these things to happen. His timing is perfect. Ours is not. His timing is based on His plan. Ours is based on our own self-interest. Like, what am I waiting in the, in the drive-thru line? I just want some food, right? I'm kind of driven to be impatient because of my desire just to eat. When I have plenty to eat... 
What patience does is it requires us to view things God's way. So I want to give you just four quick little tips. Like how, how do we learn how to wait? How do we learn how to be patient? Now just four things that came to mind. Patience requires us to change our focus. It requires us to change the focus of our attention. Right? Because our attention, when, when we're being impatient, is on ourselves. It's on what we want. It's on what, what we wish we could have. We just don't want to wait long enough for God to give it to us. We want it now. Our attention is on ourselves. We have to change the focus of our attention. The second way we can learn to, be, learn to wait and be patient is being mindful of people and not circumstances. Oftentimes, you know, we're going on a trip and you, there's, there's an accident. And if you've ever been through South Carolina on 95, okay, and there's an accident, it, it's over, right? It's over. There's only two lanes and everything's going to get stopped. And it's easy for us to get frustrated in circumstances like that because now it completely throws off our timetable. We're not going to get to where we want to go at the time we want to get there. But do you ever stop to think about the people that maybe were in that accident? That maybe someone's not, someone's going to miss a loved one who maybe passed away. As we consider how we wait, we have to be mindful of people and not circumstances. The third way I've got down here is get comfortable being uncomfortable. I'm going to use my son as an illustration here. He's going to love this. It's easy for us to not like to deal with uncomfortableness. The other day we were going through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. I thought I saw someone that I knew, and I thought his name was Frank. And so I just wanted to say hey to him. Hey, you know, hey, hey Frank, how you doing? Well, he told me his name was Roger. And so my son and my family's in the back seat, and he's about to crawl underneath the back seat because I just embarrassed him so much. And so I kept telling him, it's okay. Now I know his name is Roger. It's not Frank. It's okay being uncomfortable. Life will make us uncomfortable sometimes. Especially, let me say, life just makes us uncomfortable in general. But especially when we begin to pursue what God has for us, prepare to be uncomfortable. We have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Does that make sense? We have to be comfortable being uncomfortable if we're going to wait and pursue what God has for us. The last thing is intentionally choosing to slow down. Now, I, I, I find it a, a privilege that in my life, I do remember what life was like before the Internet came. And in our modern civilization, time just goes faster and faster. There's this ever sense of things need to be quicker and faster and do more and more and more. But I, I, I find that in God's plan, it requires us to slow down. It, it requires us to build margin into our life to be open to what God would have for us, not to be so full of busyness that we miss what God is happening. And I think about how many times did God make people slow down and be quiet in order to listen to Him. That's something I need to remember, something we all need to remember. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says this, Hurry is a form of violence on the soul. Hurry is a form of violence on the soul. 
We get so busy. And what does that, that busyness do? It just tears our life apart. It gets our priorities all out of whack. So intentionally choosing to slow down. So changing the focus of your attention. Being mindful of people and not circumstances. Getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Intentionally choosing to slow down. Those are just some ways. Those are just some ways that we can learn how to wait. Specifically waiting on God to change our perspective. And we look in the Bible, there's so many stories of God making people wait here. We have the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. What was God doing with that time? Well, they had been disobedient, so they needed to learn a lesson. God had them waiting so that they would turn into the nation that was ready to do His will and accomplish His purpose and obey His commands. There was a purpose behind that waiting. Think about Abraham waiting to have a child or, or the other stories where people were, uh, just could not bear children and then they, God blessed them and they did that. There's this point where Abraham, Abraham had to come to the point where he understood that the blessing of a child was a blessing in his life from God. I think about the disciples and this, this kind of lull, this little time period between these, these three days where they waited after Jesus died they didn't really know what happened. They didn't really understand that Jesus, even though he told them, was going to rise from the grave. But they had to wait. And even Jesus himself, waiting till he was 30 years old to start a ministry, when he was God at any time he could have started his ministry. We can look at these stories and understand that there is time when we're going to follow God. It does require us to be patient and to wait. In verse 6, at the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth, and he sent forth a dove from him to see the waters had subdued from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him, or returned to, him to the ark, and the, uh, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. And he waited another seven days. And again, he set forth uh, uh, the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And then he waited another seven days and sent forth a dove. And she did not return to him anymore. So during this time period where... Noah is just waiting. It doesn't mean that he's not busy. He, he's doing things, right? Of course, he's taking care of his family. He's taking care of all the animals. But he's also sending out these, these doves, these birds, to go out and see, okay, how, how, how are things going out there? How, what, what's, what's happening out there? And he, tests, he uses these birds to really test how much the waters have receded to find any sort of evidence for life out there. And so I, I kind of think about this, this time period is while he was waiting. You have this time of waiting, but while he was waiting, Noah demonstrates his faithfulness again. It doesn't mean that just because we're waiting, we have to be still. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything while we wait on God. Instead, we are busy. We are active. We are working. We're doing the things that we know that God tells us to do. God commanded him to take care of the animals. God commanded him to take care of the ark. He was doing those things. He was busy being obedient to the things that God had told him to do. 
while he was waiting on God to do the next thing. There is no need to wait on God to be obedient to the things that he's already told us to do. That's just obedience. That's just obedience. That's what we should be doing. <clears throat> but oftentimes we say, okay, I'm just waiting on the Lord. We fold our hands and we sit there. And we spend time in prayer and that's great. But God doesn't want us to be idle. He wants us to go and do the things that he's told us to do. He also doesn't want us to be in hurry or busy. But he wants us to be diligent and obedient. You know, times of waiting are really just times of preparation. It's about God making us into who we need to be to receive what he has for us. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness. They had to become the nation that would go and take the land. They weren't that. They needed those 40 years. They needed those 40 years to trust the Lord, to see Him provide for them for 40 years. To become the type of nation that would trust what He said and go and, and achieve the things that He set before them. Waiting really is a time of obedience. It's a time of preparation. And it's also a time of transformation for ourselves. So while we wait... It, doesn't, that it isn't that it doesn't accomplish anything. I don't know about you, sometimes when, you, when you're sitting there, you're like, okay, I feel like nothing is happening. I need to be doing something here. But instead, God is doing something. He's making you into the person that He needs you to be. Wait on Him and trust in Him. And be obedient while you're waiting. Verse 13 says, in, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Finally, dry land. It had been almost a year, a year of rain, floods, just riding around in this boat in this open water, you begin to see the, the tippy tops of the mountains. You, you send out these doves. He's being faithful. But still, it takes a long time for that water to recede, to dry off of the earth. And so Noah removes this covering from off the roof. And I can imagine, like maybe you did this this morning, and, and we have this discussion. You stand outside and you feel the warmth of the sun. You know, it just feels so good. It's comforting. And it's like, okay, God is shining down on you. And so as he removes this covering, I'm sure he stood there. But he also probably looked around and sees a world that was dramatically different than what, he, than what it was when he went onto the ark. Because that much water and that much erosion would dramatically change the landscape to probably be unfamiliar to him. Short of the mountains being where the mountains were and other things, you know, things would look definitely different than they did before. He may have even asked himself, where am I? And this is the, the new beginning that God has for him. And I want to say this in, kind of in tandem with what I was saying earlier. Sometimes obeying God leads us to uncomfortable and unfamiliar places. Uncomfortable and unfamiliar places. There's times in my ministry I've just had to learn 
to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And actually kind of gotten to the point, especially when it, uh, sometimes it's kind of enjoyable, right? It's like, okay, this is something new. This is something I've never experienced before. This is someplace I've never been before. This is exciting. There's something exciting with, with God working in you and doing new things that brings you joy and excitement. And so, I mean, we think about the world in that day when Noah looked out over it, I'm sure just with all that water, I can't imagine how much mud there was everywhere. Everything was soaked from being wet for like an entire year. The ground was probably impossible to walk on. It just was, uh, you know, just was, was not what he had known before that. And kids, I don't know about you, but you think about what it would be like to come and see that much mud. To see that much mud, would you want to go and play in that mud? I probably would. When I was younger, I used to love riding the four-wheeler through the mud. One of my favorite activities, especially when my wife was with me. It was one of those things that, you know, in some ways, it would be impossible to let everyone off the ark. There's so much mud everywhere. There's so much going on here. And yet, Noah doesn't. He stays on the ark. He doesn't open the door. He doesn't get out there. And we'll see that in the next passage. In verse 14, in the second month of the 27th day of the month, the earth dried out. So finally it dries. And then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and, and, your, son, uh, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing uh, that is with you, all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And so God went out and his sons and his wife and his, and his sons' wives with him. And every beast and creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families of the ark. I don't know about you, but as soon as that boat probably would have landed, I would have been opening the door. I would have been so anxious to get out of the ark. But instead, we see that Noah doesn't do that. The ark lands. Uh, uh, on Mount Ararat, the land begins to dry. He sees what's happening around him. And I probably would have been looking at my watch. Okay, God, it's time for us to go, right? It's time for us to get off the boat, right? It's time for us to go ahead and, and, and do what's next. Like, like, God, I'm ready for what's next. But yet we see Noah's faithfulness here. He does not even begin to open that door until God tells him to do that. I don't know about y'all, but if you've ever been on a long road trip, you've, you've felt this way. When you're on this road trip, we, we like to go to Tennessee, and it takes us about 10 hours, depending on how many stops we make. We try to do it all in one day. But as you can imagine, when you have four kids, two adults, in a van, for just 10 hours on one day, we are ready to get out of that van. And oftentimes I feel like Noah, because I feel like I've been transporting a herd of animals in our van on this trip, and I'm ready to get them out. And I think for us, we would be anxious to get out of there and maybe not wait on the Lord. And here you have Noah demonstrating his diligence and faithfulness again, not to do anything until God tells him to do it. And so when God finally in verse 16 says, Go, go out of the ark. You, your family, the, the animals, okay, go, go. It's time for you to go. He obeys, and they exit the ark. 
Noah demonstrates his faithful obedience by not opening the door really for another two months. Things have dried out. Things are good. But he waits for almost two months before until God says to open the door before he opens it. I don't know about y'all, but I, I think sometimes my own rationality comes into play when it comes to obeying God, right? Because I oftentimes will say, you know, God, this only makes sense that I go ahead and do this now, right? Because this is the opportunity. This, in my mind, this is the right opportunity. It's the right time. So this only makes sense for us to go ahead and do this. And I think sometimes we can get ourselves into trouble when we put our own rationing, our own uh, mental ability over top of God's plan and try to filter what God is doing before he tells us to do it. And we can get into trouble when we try to preempt God's plan by putting our plan on top of it. Noah didn't do that. Noah waited patiently for God. And his command here to be fruitful and multiply... This echoes the command that he gave to Adam. This is the new beginning for the whole earth. It's, it's a start over. It's a do-over. Okay? It is an opportunity for things to start again. Animals, families. But what God does here is he takes the faithful. He takes Noah and his family because of his faithfulness and love for God. Spares them and they are the new beginning for the earth. I think in that we see the purpose for this. We see the purpose that God has. And His purpose was for a new beginning. It was a chance to get rid of evil, start again with this righteous family that loved Him so that things would be better. It was for the world. It was for the world's betterment that God did this. And I think it's important for us too because sometimes when God has us waiting, we're kind of like, why God? Why, why can't I just have what I feel like you're doing right now. Why, why is it that I have to wait on you? Let me just encourage you to say God has a purpose for that. God has a purpose when he asks us to wait on him. Sometimes that purpose is to change us. Sometimes that purpose is for other people around us. Sometimes there's a purpose that we will never see until we get to heaven. But God has a purpose. Know that He has a purpose and a plan for what He's calling us to do. So when we wait, when we're patient and faithful to Him, He has a purpose for us in this time. And here we see this purpose coming to fruition for, for Noah. He will be the new beginning for the earth. He is the do-over. He's the brand new start for the world. In verse 20, it says, Then Noah, in response to this, builds an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered the burnt offerings on the altar. So we know this kind of two by two, but with the clean animals, they took more than that. And so he takes some of those clean animals and he offers them to God. His first action is an action, is an offering to the Lord. It is an act of worship to God. I, I, I can't say this again. At every step, Noah is demonstrating recognition of God. He's understanding the provision of God. He's, he's, he's worshiping God through this act of, of offering. Offerings are an act of worship. They are a sign of recognition that God is God and we are not. That's why God tells us to do it. 
There's, there's something about, whether, whether it's our time, our talent, or our treasure in our life, as we give offerings back to God, it's about us recognizing and reprioritizing God in our life to make sure that we understand in our heart and in our mind that He is God and we are not. So this first action, I think, again, demonstrates Noah's love for God. He offers this offering. And in verse 21 it says, And the Lord smelled this pleasing aroma, and the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. So God recognizes this offering. And I think it's interesting to say, what, what, is it, what is it that this pleasing aroma here, what is it that this is, is about this pleasing aroma? This is an offering. This is a burnt offering of animals. And that's not something that has a pleasing aroma. But this pleasing aroma, he's talking about the heart of Noah and his recognition of offering this to God. What's pleasing to God is the heart of Noah. It's his faithfulness, his demonstrating that through offering this to him. That's what's pleasing to him. And this, this, um, this offering is also a recognition. It's also a, a sacrifice for sin. It's kind of like, okay, we're, we're putting the past behind us here. We're making this offering and we're starting fresh and anew. The closest thing I can think of our own life is the idea of repentance. And I think oftentimes we get that confused with this idea of just being sorry. Repentance is not the same as being sorry. Telling God we're sorry for something is not the same as being repentant of it. When God calls us and we come to a point where we recognize our own sin and we recognize His authority in our life, and we recognize what Jesus did for us on the cross, there is a requirement for repentance. Repentance causes us to recognize our own sin. It causes us to understand that there needs to be an atonement for that. And that things need to be different afterwards. So this offering, this, this burnt offering is an atonement for the sins that happened, the, all the people that happened before Noah got off this ark, but it's also at the same time a new beginning. And what I love is that God doesn't hold on to that. He doesn't hold on to our, our baggage and our strings. And, and we come to Him in true repentance. He forgives us. He forgives us and gives us an opportunity for a new start. When God hears and sees this, it's pleasing to Him. And Hebrews eleven six tells us, without faith it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. Only through our faith can we please Him. And here it talks about God recognizes also the intention of man's heart. The intention of man's heart, He says, is evil from his youth. I think it's important for us to understand that, that God, even when we repent, understands that our heart is innately bent away from Him and, and towards sin. And if it isn't without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus in our life, we can't even fight that battle. We can't even begin to fight that battle without Jesus in us. 
So he recognizes here that, yes, things are not going to be perfect. Things are not going to be perfect moving on. Man is going to sin. They're going to rebel. They're going to be selfish. They're going to be disobedient. It's going to happen again. Because our heart is evil. And that's one of those things sometimes we live by what our heart tells us. And our heart is deceitful. It'll pull us away from God. We have to understand with our mind. I heard someone say one time, you protect your heart with your mind, not your mind with your heart. And what what they mean when they said that was, is oftentimes our heart can lead us one way. But if our mind is not firmly rooted in the Word of God and what we know of Him and understand of Him, sometimes our heart and our minds have to battle it out. And I pray that in those instances you don't let your heart change what your mind knows to be true. Instead, we have to focus on what our mind knows to be true to sometimes inform our heart how to feel. Because if we live our life just following our feelings around, we're going to end up in destruction and not obeying what God has for us. So when God here recognizes that this is... Yeah, this, this isn't the end of sin. This isn't like it's, it's all over, everything's perfect. Why? Because God knew that. God had another plan He was working for that. He was going to solve that another way by sending His Son to die on the cross for us. But this promise is in spite of that recognition, saying, yeah, I know it's going to happen, but I will never do this again. I'm never going to strike down every living creature as I have done. And while the earth remains, these cycles of seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night, they shall not cease. He's never going to do that again. So recognition and a promise here that despite our sinfulness and our consistent going away from God, that He will not punish us in this way again. Because He was working our ultimate plan, His ultimate plan for our redemption through Jesus. So the last thing that we see here is God had a promise. God had a promise for earth. He had a promise for us. And we can see that in the ark. We can see that it is a type of Christ. Just as it was Noah's salvation, Jesus is our salvation. His blood covers us, covers our penalty of sin, so that we can know God, our Creator. In Revelations 21.5, and I pray that at the beginning of the, near, uh, of the year you can kind of see this, a reflection of this, a, a glimpse of this. This is all I'm talking about. God ultimately in, in the book of Revelation tells us everything was going to be made new. Everything will be destroyed except for people, His creation, because we have Him in us. We are made in His image. But everything else is going to be destroyed and remade new. Revelation 21.5 says He's making all things new. And as we begin this year, this is a new opportunity. God gives us this little opportunity to kind of experience what it is to make things new again. To be made new again. I started out my sermon with an illustration from Gilligan's Island. Anybody remember how the, how the, the whole thing ended? It's kind of funny. So, um, to go into a little more detail, 
They do. They, they get swept out to sea. Somehow Gilligan catches their raft or whatever they were on on fire. The smoke from that causes the uh, Coast Guard to see them and rescue them. So finally, after 15 years, they're rescued. But what happens is they go into the world and everything is different. The world has moved on, things have gone, you know, and, and all these different things happen. So they end up coming back together and, foolishly or not, get back on a boat and go on a cruise and get in a storm and end up back on the island again. That's how, that's how it happens. So there's no escaping for them that island. But that's not how God's plan works. God's plan ends in a way that he determines. It accomplishes what he wants. In this passage, we see that God made provision. He had a purpose, and he made a promise. That the events of the flood, in some ways, mirror what God wants for you. Noah was a righteous man. He had faith in God. And it was through God's provision that he made a way of escape. It was for God's purpose that he was offered salvation and mankind got a fresh start. And then in God's promise was for a better future, one that he would never do that again. And so as we begin to close this morning, you may be here, this, just, just kind of maybe you came and just attended and, and you're, you're in a season where you feel like maybe you're in the midst on a boat in the middle of a storm. Maybe you feel like your world is kind of flooding in and things are getting crazy and you're not really sure what to do. Things are just not going the right way. Let me just say this. God always offers us a fresh start and a new beginning. It starts with knowing your Creator, placing your faith and trust in Him, that He will be your salvation, that He paid the price that you could not pay. That is Jesus. If that's where you're at, that's what you need. That's really what you need. That's what God desires for you, is to come into a relationship with Him. He'll offer you a way of salvation. He'll offer you a way to get out of your circumstances. So I would encourage you to take Noah's example here. Place your faith in God. Trust Him. Obey Him. He won't let you down. He has a promise to work out for your good if you love Him. He'll save you, restore you, and give you life everlasting. But if you're a believer, maybe this morning, and you're just in that season of waiting, whatever it is, fill in the blank there. You're waiting for God to blank. Maybe you feel like Noah, and you're just waiting for God to open the door. You're kind of feeling anxious, like, God, I'm ready for you to do this. I want this now. Let me just encourage you to be patient on the Lord and wait for Him. Don't be idle, though. Don't, don't be idle. Be obedient while you're waiting for God to do what you're waiting for Him to do. Let Him work through you. He's probably working on you to make you into who He wants you to be. And it, oftentimes I've found that it isn't, and you think about it for a second, it isn't until we go through either that time of waiting or that time of difficulty that we can actually turn around and appreciate what God has done in our life. And maybe that's what God is working out for you. You, know, you don't go through a difficulty, especially like Noah did, and come out the same person. That's kind of the point. 
That's kind of the point. Sometimes when we go through those difficulties and God allows us to do that, it's because he's changing us and making us into what we need to be and what he wants us to be. So maybe you feel like you're in a storm and you can't see a way of escape. Trust in God. Just trust that God has you. If you love him, you're his child. He's got you. He will see you through. He desires good things for you. And that isn't necessarily how we determine them being good, but according to his plan, what is good for us. But God will see you through. So however God is leading on your heart, if he's leading you to respond, I'll be down front here. I'm going to go ahead and call Pastor Chuck back up as we lead just one last song. Just, just one verse, one stanza of this song. And we consider what God is, is leading you to do. And I just pray if I can help you in some way, I'll be down front. I would love to pray with you, counsel with you, whatever you need. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful, God, that you provide us salvation. We're thankful that you provide us provision. You give us a way out. You give us a way of escape. But it's more of a way of rescue. And it fits with your plan and what you have for us. Lord, I pray that this, this morning, if there's anyone out here, Father, who maybe feels like their life is, is just not on the right track, Lord, and, and that could be because they don't actually know you as their Lord and Savior. That, that they don't actually have never submitted their lives, recognized you as God, placed their faith and trust in Jesus to be saved. Lord, I pray that they would do that this morning. But I pray for maybe those other people who are just in that time of waiting and they're trying to be patient and they're trying to be patient. And, and, and God, I'm reminded that, that I'm sure just like Noah, God, he thought it was coming and he thought it was coming. But God, it was in your perfect timing that you provided a way out of the ark. Lord, I pray we can be like Noah and trust and obey you. Wait to, be, to listen for your voice and then move upon that. And God, no, no matter what we're dealing with, Father, I pray that we can all take a lesson from Noah. Lord, in just whatever we've been through, offering you praise, offering you worship, Lord, giving you what you deserve. Father, I pray that this morning, God, that you would just lead us to do whatever, uh, Lord, you're leading us to do. Lord, that we be brave. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.